Streaming from Abby Cat Recording Studio in Chicago. You are listening to Influence, a podcast where we explore what makes great music influential. Welcome to Influenced, uh, and I'm Blake Sokoloff. I'm Robert Dean. Uh, this week we're doing a part one of uh, Damon Albarn. So it's not just Blur. Yeah, no, we're doing, we're doing, uh, we're kind of tracking Damon Albarn's whole whole career, and we kind of figured that that would take more than one episode. So in this first one, we're kind of tracking Damon Albarn's career from... The beginnings, like his his early career in the late '80s, starting Blur with with his bandmates Graham Cox and Alex James and Dave Roundtree, all the way up through the '90s, kind of into the early 2000s when he started uh, Gorillas with with his partner in crime, Jamie Hewlett. So we'll kind of be taking taking his whole kind of career as a as a as a scope. And um, just like really diving into one of like the UK's most interesting and diverse uh, musicians. And it really it really starts uh, when Damon was in his in his uh, mid teens and he started just like really getting into music. He was really into like a lot of the just like sounds of the late 80s up and coming shoegaze bands and a lot of the post-punk music that was kind of happening, like the Cure, Susie and the Banshees, XTC. He was very influenced by all of that. And um, he kind of met his partner in crime, so to speak, musically. Um, well, in the in the later years of his schooling, uh, Graham Coxon, who would become the lead guitarist or really only guitarist of of Blur and kind of Damon Albarn's kind of first musical confidant. They really first bonded over like the wild and kind of super artistic alt rock and alternative music that was kind of really shooting out in the uh, late 80s out of the like the shoegaze scene specifically like Graham Coxon talks about being in college and hearing My Bloody Valentine for the first time and how he was just like he he talks about how he had never heard anyone play guitar like that like like the the whole loveless album and even the music they were putting out before loveless like their their first album isn't anything and uh even the music they were doing before that on their like early eps was like really influential on both damon and uh graham i'll play right now off of um my bloody valentine's kind of seminal album loveless i'll play Uh, the track Only Shallow off of Loveless by My Bloody Valentine from 1992. 
So obviously, like, My Bloody Valentine is fairly different from almost any, like, other rock band kind of before or since. Graham Coxon and Damon were both just, like, immensely taken by that sound and and, uh, and 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 we're also inspired by other bands kind of doing similar things musically like like the Spaceman 3 and the Jesus and Mary Chain. While kind of in the waning years of their their school days, Graham and and Damon had been playing together in a couple different projects kind of throughout their schooling days, but they finally formed this band with the other members of what would become Blur, uh David Roundtree and Alex James on drums and bass respectively. And their their first band that that first band was actually called Seymour, I think based off a story by the author of Catcher in a Rye, um, just called Seymour, I I believe. Um, and so in in eighty eight eighty nine, Seymour were kind of just playing around wherever they could get a gig, whether that be at their at their college or at just like a, a pub. Um, so they finally they ended up getting scouted by this record label. Um, called Food Records, who were kind of a one of the bigger indie labels at the time in the in the UK kind of music industry, and um, this this record label Food, they really liked their sound, really liked the songs, but really did not like the band name Seymour. Hmm. Uh, they just thought it sounded just like a little maybe maybe they thought it sounded a little too pretentious in like a art school kind of way. Hmm. Um, so the the label actually gave the band a like a list of something like fifteen or twenty names oh, to pick from, and uh, yeah, to pick from. And Blur was on that list, so that just got their favor. And um, after that, they um, were were kind of partnered with this producer Stephen Street, who had worked with a few artists. Like I think he had actually produced a uh, Susie and the Banshees prior to working with Blur. So he was a bit of a name for himself. And they recorded and released their first album. Leisure that was definitely very indebted to that kind of noise rock, all alternative and art rock sound that was kind of championed by My Bloody Valentine and the Jesus and Mary Chain and bands like Spaceman 3 at the time. So here's Wear Me Down, the final track off of their first album, Leisure. You, you wear me down, my defenses are gone. So you can really hear that like opaque shoegaze influence, like those very thick distorted guitars and mm-hmm. like the vocals just barely sitting over it. Like the vocals are almost like whispered. They're very, they're very dreamy. They're mm-hmm. very like psychedelic. It's very like you're in like almost kind of an alternate state um, listening to something like that. Um, especially for a full album like that, that music was very like, um, transformative and that's definitely something they they really liked getting out of that early music uh and so after that first album leisure came out they were they were kind of put on the the touring circuit and they had they had a couple tours of the united states that actually mm-hmm. didn't go too well for them um i don't th- i just think they didn't really love the the vibe of the united states and it's a very different 
from England, especially never like I don't think any of the guys in Blur had ever been to the US before they were made to tour it. And like with in the UK, you can you can do a whole tour of the UK in like maybe a weekend. <laughs> yeah. And like so just like they were they didn't like that they were just like spending nine hours driving through Kansas. Cornfield. Yeah, yeah, driving through Kansas. Through Kansas, yeah, like I'll... getting to the trying to get to the next gig <laughs> to maybe play for 30 people on some random club so they really didn't like they didn't have a great experience coming to the u.s there although they did they did tour the u.s for quite some time oh yeah they were they were in the u.s for like at least three or four months yeah it was like it was to the point where they were in the u.s so long that when they came back to the uk there were a bunch of bands that had gotten big since since they before they left like the the uh damon alborn specifically talks about how he came back from one of their first U.S. tours and the um, early Britpop band Suede had gotten really, really big in that time. And like Damon was kind of like, well, we could make music like that. Like, what are we what's what's going on? And, like, why? The, and, and were they just not? I don't know that you would know. They 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 just weren't as big in, in Britain because of uh Shoegaze wasn't as big. Yeah, yeah. So also kind of this is definitely also something that played kind of a role in their like kind of falling out of their like earlier sound. But like um, after after the end of 1992, like the last thing they really did uh, kind of as part of the sort of shoegaze sound, so to speak, was they went on this tour in the late. In the early, early uh, 1993, late 1992, called the Roller Coaster Tour, that was Blur, My Bloody Valentine, the U.S. band Dinosaur Jr., and then the Jesus and Mary Chain. So three U.K. kind of noise bands and then a U.S. noise band. And they they kind of toured all around Europe for, for a few months. And they actually, they they, Damon talks about how that tour was just like, was like they had a lot of fun on the tour, but like they certainly weren't playing their best. They he talks about how that tour kind of turned into each band kind of in a contest to see who could play the most screwed up or play the <laughs> loudest. Uh. So it would be like Blur would play the loudest and most messed up one night, and then they'd get done in by Dinosaur Jr. the next. And so mm. it was a mass major like. They, they, I think they had a lot of fun, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it was also like kind of a taxing tour for them. And also when they when they came back, when they came off the roller coaster tour, the the UK music press specifically it kind of turned against shoegaze, so to speak. Like shoegaze for for a good period of the early '90s and late '80s was kind of the new it it sounds so to speak it was the new major musical trend so the music press was kind of hyping it up for a while like they really hyped up my bloody valentine and loveless and a lot of those releases around that time and then kind of post post that um a lot of other kind of trends started coming up that maybe shoegaze couldn't compete so well with like shoegaze didn't necessarily rock as hard as grunge, mm-hmm. like those, like the Nirvana could probably rock harder than slow dive, maybe in a, in a club. And then shoegaze also wasn't necessarily groovy enough to get played at like a dance bar mm-hmm. or a rave or anything mm-hmm. like that. So shoegaze kind of got boxed out for, for a, for a, a, t- a time period until it kind of had a resurgence in the two thousands and 2010s. But 
that kind of that kind of um, critical sort of turnaround on shoegaze led a lot of shoegaze bands to kind of dissolve in the late nineties, either dissolve or kind of fumble their way into some other kind of musical, um, musical style, like my bloody Valentine ride and slow dive would all break up before the mid nineties, like before 1995, Mm. 1996, none of those bands would exist for decades until they would reunite in the 2010s. So so kind of in order to sort of circumvent that and maybe kind of since Blur had only really made one album kind of in that shoegaze style, they were kind of able to pivot in a way that maybe some of the other more entrenched shoegaze bands weren't able to. And they started taking more influence from like some of the bands they were inspired by earlier, like XTC, um, which you'll hear in just a second. Um but also bands bands like the the jam and a lot of Paul Weller's music and the style council yeah. as well were starting to make uh big influences in them as well. Just like the way they started getting really into the way that certain bands could kind of write about being really British. Mm-hmm. And that's something that Damon Albarn really wanted to kind of both challenge himself with and also kind of work into his persona because he, one of the reasons he didn't maybe love a lot of the early um, stuff, or maybe he felt kind of stifled by a lot of Blur's early music is that like the lyrics didn't necessarily take much of a precedent in their like early shoegaze influenced music. Like the lyrics were very, very just like, almost rambly, almost like sleepy. And um, so Damon like really started taking some influence from, from bands in the seventies and eighties that kind of talked about being very British or being very like working class or like really talking about your kind of the surroundings that were like really into or kind of making the band or making the people who they were. So Damon was definitely being very inspired by that and also like wanted to kind of change things up musically. So they started looking more towards bands like XTC and the jam and style council and others like that. So here's, here's a mayor of simpleton by XTC. Never been near a university. So arguably, um, XTC's, uh, well, I think a lot of people consider Orange and Lemons the, oh, the yeah, top definitely. album. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe not. Depends on your preference, but um, great album by them. Definitely, and that was that. That album came out in 1989, kind of right around that time where Buller was very much starting to look for new influences and like just like to get out of that like kind of dreamy f- shoegaze fog, so to speak. So after kind of wanting to kind of break out of that and maybe get a little bit more active and they also, they were also, they certainly were um, kind of paying attention to the charts. Like their, their first album leisure had had a couple songs like the, 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 um, the, the song that we actually opened the show with uh, there's no other way was a major, was kind of their first big hit off of their album leisure. I think it charted 
at number eight mm. in the uh, kind of British top ten. Mm. Uh, so that was kind of their first big hit and kind of their first taste of like chart success. So that was definitely something they were kind of consciously striving after and consciously like trying to trying to aim for was like getting success on the charts. So that definitely led them to try to um, just expand their musicality a little bit more and like get a little bit more into like what might make people get on the dance floor, get, get groovy a little bit. Mm -hmm. So um, you'll hear the, one of the lead singles off their kind of breakthrough album park life, which uh, came out in 1994. And that album was really the album that saw them take the, I guess the artistic and textural vibe of their early work and kind of meld it with something that was maybe a little bit more commercial and something that could get them a little bit more noticed and like this song, Girls and Boys, the bass line and the drums are almost like straight out of a disco song. Like it almost sounds like it could be from the Bee Gees. Hmm. But like this song is immensely groovy and also just like goes very in depth on Damon's just like kind of exercises in like, like him observing British culture. Like he was just observing like this song is primarily him kind of observing the way in which kind of hookup culture worked at like their um, college. And while they were on tour, like they were around a lot of young people just having a great time. So this song is kind of just about like young people having a great time. <laughs> so this is girls and boys off of their, their hit album park life. So you can really hear like the groove that's like very central to that track and like that mm -hmm. drum, that drum beat and that bass line like really don't let up for the entire song. Like that song is grooving through the whole thing. Like that's definitely like you didn't really you never heard like a shoegaze song like with drums or bass that loud or in front in the mix. So that's definitely like a conscious effort for them to kind of break from that sound and kind of push into more of a maybe commercial, almost like pop music. Also very, very, very much taken from like a lot of 60s pop that they were listening to at the time, like the Beatles and the Kinks, specifically like like the Damon Albarn would, would take a lot of the like almost like storytelling, mm -hmm. songwriting style that would, that was so prevalent in like a lot of 60s bands like the Beatles and the Kinks were like, like, like Lady Madonna is kind of Paul McCartney, like making up a story about like a neighborhood full of people and like the Kinks would do so much of that as oh, yeah. well. Like you'll hear uh, "Waterloo Sunset" by the Kinks in just a second, and then that, that's definitely something that Damon like really, really took to heart. And like uh, again, it's kind of something he wanted to really make in like as British of a way as possible, and like really look at like British, um, like British societal issues or British societal just like kind of stereotypes, and like really bring them to the forefront of his music. Um, so here, here, right here, you'll hear uh, Waterloo Sunset by the Kinks uh, from their, their 1967 album, Something Else. But here's Waterloo Sunset. Dirty old river Must you keep rolling Flowing into 
Good call out on the Kinks, and you know those three albums, ninety three, ninety four, ninety five. Yeah, as they got centered around that sixties, yeah, British the, pop, yeah, definitely sound. Um, really received a lot of critical acclaim, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, all those, all those um, albums, like from from their ninety three album, um, Modern Life is Rubbish, all all the way from Park Life to their to their album after Park Life called The Great Escape. They were all like. Very, very high charting, if not number one, like in the top five. They were, this was kind of the peak of blurs, especially Park Life. Like Park Life really broke the wall, the kind of doors down for blur. And they, after Park Life, they were really one of the biggest names in kind of British mainstream music at the time. Maybe they, the only reason they found out they weren't the biggest band quite in Britain was because uh, a couple brothers. A couple brothers, Gallagher, came along, yeah. wrote a couple songs like this song you'll hear, Roll With It. Uh, but this band, Oasis, were really the only thing that kind of kept Blur off the top in the mid-90s. So here's Roll With It off of What's the Story, Morning Glory from 1995. So the uh, that that song specifically, "Roll with It," actually plays a pretty interesting kind of tagline in the Blur Oasis sort of drama because if in the uh, mid '90s, so 1995, both Blur and Oasis were kind of the two biggest pillars in kind of the British the British music scene and they started out being really friendly. Like, uh, you can find, you can find video footage of, I think it's in like 1993 or 1994 Damon, um, like blur won uh, a music award. And, um, Damon actually, while giving his thank you speech is like, I want to share this award with Oasis because I feel such a musical kinship with them. Oh, that's cool. Um, but that didn't last very long. Uh, so, so I think that lasted about as long as it took them to realize that they were the uh, only thing that was in the way of the other one getting a number right. one. Right. So, in 1995, Oasis were set to release that that single "Roll with It," and no one knows exactly what hmm. what stoked the fire, what stoked the the bands to do this, but. When Blur found out the day that Oasis were planning to release Roll With It, they decided to release their new single, which was called Country House, which you'll hear in just a second, on the same day. Uh So both those singles were the two new singles from the two hottest bands in Britain. So only one could be number one. So that led to a massive just like two-week campaign by both record labels to get both bands to number one. And both Mm -hmm. bands were talking crap about the other (laughs) band and the press. And um, 
Blur actually did win out on this little battle to number one. Country House beat Roll With It to number one. So Roll With It was number two, Country House number one. Mm. But you could generally say that maybe Oasis won the war overall because Oasis were the only one of the two to really make it in the United States where Blur never totally found their footing. But, I mean, I, I personally prefer probably Blur a little bit to Oasis, but... But in terms of just hard sales, it's kind of hard to say uh, Oasis lost that battle. But here's here's Country House by uh, Blur, kind of the 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 one of the bigger catalysts to what would become one of the biggest rivalries in music history. So you can really hear like the the that song specifically Country House is very like he's talking very kinks like like that Waterloo Sunset was talking about kind of looking at London kind of London lifestyle from your window like this song is literally Damon talking about the stereotype of like rich young Londoners getting young money and buying houses in the country when they didn't have any the money to buy anything else. So they were like, I'll buy a house in the country. So so mm. that 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 song really like that kind of this album, The Great Escape, is kind of the pinnacle of kind of Damon's sort of I guess tribulations on kind of British culture. Mm-hmm. Uh like like they they buy the like this is kind of the third album really of kind of british centric music and lifestyle that they that they had made so this was kind of the the as about as far as they could they could take this specific kind of musical um avenue i suppose yeah what what do you think uh as they move forward out of that what got them into that headspace to go more lo-fi hip-hop yeah, what they did in '97 and beyond. Yeah, so like uh, that—that that was actually uh, the one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest um, kind of reasons for that was uh, Graham Coxon was kind of getting really tired of just like the he was just getting tired of the um, like British style of just like the the only taking influence from British music. So he kind of. Um, did what like the opposite of like like in the in the early days of blur they they hated going to America so they kind of just deep dived into British culture mm-hmm. and then after years and years of doing that Graham was kind of like I need a break from British culture <laughs> I'm gonna do a deep dive on like what's going on in America and so so Graham started getting really into like a lot of the alternative music that was kind of coming out of America and like some of the stuff that he deemed maybe a little more interesting mm. than just like the the grunge or the the like hard rock. So he was getting into a lot of like like the experimental music like Beck who was kind of combining like mm. like Beck was kind of combining everything like hip hop, mm-hmm. folk music, alternative rock. So You'll hear a uh, uh, Novocaine off of Odalay Beck's uh, 1996 album here in just a second. But Graham was also getting really into like noisier American rock, like diving into Dinosaur Jr., mm-hmm. who they had toured with in the early 90s, as well as getting into bands like Pavement and um, other other bands like that. So, so here's uh, 
um, Novocaine off of Odelay by Beck. But um, this is definitely, like, Beck was definitely one of the major influences in kind of pushing them out of their kind of British-centric um, music that they had been making for almost five or six years at that point. So, like, in just that, like, short maybe minute of song, you could hear so many just, like, disparate musical elements, like, from the turntables from the to the, like, hip-hop drums to the, mm-hmm. like, distorted guitars and, like, weird vocal inflections and vocal effects. Like, all of that was definitely, like, and all the weird synthesizers and keyboards, too, was all playing very heavily into, like, what Blur kind of wanted to take their, or where Blur kind of wanted to take their sound next. And they were getting even more influenced by like noisy music and dirty music. And they also wanted to start instead of like spending all the time in the studio, like working to get the songs sounding like an incredible drum sound or an incredible guitar sound. They kind of wanted to put the band all in the room at once playing together. So they, they would, even if it didn't sound as crisp, necessarily as their past albums it had like a certain energy that you couldn't really replicate without a band all like giving it their all in the room together live so here's um death of the party one of the more experimental tracks off of blur's next album which was just a self-titled album called blur released in 1997 and this album's also unique because it's it's when kind of damon albarn started generally writing music ever so slightly more on his own. So he kind of, Damon Albarn kind of sees a couple songs on this album as kind of being the beginnings of what would eventually become the Gorillas. So because a lot of, a couple songs on this album were maybe him or one other person playing with a drum machine or some synthesizers and making a really interesting song out of that. So this album was definitely the one of the most creative that Blur had ever made, but also kind of saw Damon sort of beginning to think of like, oh, what else can I kind of, where else can I take this music, even if it's not necessarily a four-piece band environment. But here's Death of the Party off of Blur, the 1997 self-titled album. Why did he Definitely hear that um, influence from Beck there. And also, um, you know, the Gorillas started in 98. And maybe just your thoughts on how that – how did that come about? I mean it's uh, it was a uh, partnership with uh, Jamie Hewlett, a comic yeah. book artist. Yes, definitely. So that actually, that actually um, came about 
because uh, kind of because of Graham Coxon, actually, uh, the guitarist of Blur, because in 19... 1991, 19, in 1990, 1991, like very early in Blur's career, Graham had actually met uh, Jamie Hewlett hmm. um, just as like a mutual friend. And uh, Jamie Jamie Hewlett at the time was fairly successful as this as a um, graphic novelist of this uh, comic and graphic novel that kind of was fairly popular throughout the the 90s called Tank Girl. Because of because of that, like De- Jamie had like uh, some some notoriety, and Graham kind of thought that like, oh, if Jamie interviewed Blur, that would be really good for the band. Mm. So in 1990, 1991, uh, Jamie Hewlett interviewed the band, and actually didn't really get along with Damon on huh. that first interview. He kind of uh, Jamie Hewlett says he kind of thought Damon was a little standoffish and maybe a little self centered. Huh. That kind of that interview got. Jamie kind of a round blur kind of in their circle. Hmm. Jamie Hewlett actually eventually ended up dating uh, an ex-girlfriend of Graham Coxon's as well. Hmm. Um, And then after that relationship kind of soured, I think in like 96, 97. Uh, So around the time of Blur's self-titled album, Damon, Damon Albarn and Jamie Hewlett decided to get a just like room together they decided to get an apartment or get a flat together Hmm. somewhere like they were both fairly busy artistically so it wasn't like they were all around the the place all the time but their their apartment kind of became well known for like having parties and having a lot of celebrities over like like there's early you can find photos of like the Spice Girl, a couple of the Spice Girls actually hanging out at some of their parties and even like early, like members of Radiohead in the early 90s or late 90s uh, hanging out at at their parties. So they were, they definitely became kind of a, a, an it place to Mm. hang out socially and like they were definitely hanging out a lot and like spending a lot of their, their time that they were around together. And so they talk about just like wanting, they had talked about wanting to form a group that kind of like they could kind of they wanted to kind of play into the artificiality of like what they thought like of pop music like they wanted to play into the artificial nature of like pop music and the way that like a lot of pop stars or pop bands or pop acts are kind of manufactured mm-hmm. and so they wanted to do that literally with a cartoon band so right. da- like gorillas kind of became the uh main kind of foray foray into that and um before right before the gorillas put out their first music blur released um the album 13 which was actually their first album that they didn't use um steven street for the the guy who had previously produced every single blur album up to 13 Mm. so on that album 13 they they um used a electronic musician by the name of william orbit who was like a producer and a primarily electronic producer and he kind of took them in even more of an experimental realm. So he kind of took the experimental sound that they were going for on the self-titled 1997 Blur album and on the 1999 album 13, mm. took it even further with m- even more synthesizers and like samplers and experimental ways to create the rhythms and drum sections for the songs. So here's 1992 off of 13 which is also one of the songs that damon says could very well be an early gorilla song mm-hmm. um and um this song the original song the reason the song is called 1992 is this the the earliest demo of the song goes all the way back to 
the early years of Blur, and it's mm-hmm. kind of something that had always been sort of around, but was this like little musical motif that took them forever to actually make into a song. But it's one of the songs that kind of Damon thinks as one of the kind of proto gorilla songs, kind of pre gorillas. Mm. So here's 1992 off of the Blur album 13. can really hear like like blur were definitely taking that musical experimentation even further on 13 than they did on their self-titled blur album from the year or two before and that was definitely kind of one of the final that like extra layer of electronic experimentation was definitely one of the final kind of steps or kind of final ingredients to getting into the gorillas as we know them today and i would say kind of the final ingredient in that sort of gorillas stew so to speak is like the um the spirit of collaboration because like damon has always been collaborating even since that first album with so many other musicians whether they be hip-hop artists people from like legends from rock bands past legends that damon loves people that damon grew up with in the same kind of music scene so he's he's always collaborating with so many people and one of the first kind of major collaborations that he did, kind of even pre-Gorillas, uh, was in 1998, 1999. He collaborated with this producer, Dan the Automator, who is another kind of electronic producer, uh, sort of similar to William Orbit, who produced 13. But Dan the Automator was producing an album by Dale, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, hmm. who is a um, kind of a 90s hip-hop icon and um, Damon kind of got brought into this, making this this album um, called Deltron 3030, uh, which is a collaboration between Dan the Automator and Del the Funky Homo Sapien. And so Damon ended up writing a couple of the songs, like co-writing a couple of the tracks with Del the Funky Homo Sapien and Dan the Automator, and then also brought them, both of them, onto the first Gorillaz album, Del the Funko, Funky Homo Sapien, is the uh, hip-hop artist who is actually the rapper on Clint Eastwood, like kind of their major oh, first wow. hit. So here's Time Keeps on Slipping from Deltron 3030 by Dan- Damon Albarn, Dan the Automator, and Del the Funky Homo Sapien. One of the first kind of major collaborations that definitely is one of the major major keys in unlocking what would become gorillas. Graphically packed 380s with body he says the bullets me safety vest on your face and neck mental armory levitate legs for my monarchy no malarkey my flows embarking psionically sparking brain cells till they sparkling So you could almost think of that song as like almost a proto-gorilla song and that it has like a lot of the same ingredients that make up a a gorilla's track. Like it starts with like an amazing hip hop verse with like some subtle backing vocals Mm -hmm. from Damon and then leads into almost a verse or chorus sung by Damon, which is kind of 
one of the, if not the kind of key gorillas aspect to most of their songs is like an amazing guest for, I mean, not that every single gorilla song has a guest verse. There's plenty of gorilla songs that are all Damon, but so much of what makes gorillas incredible is like the collaboration Mm -hmm. between Damon and other artists. And, um, and that album Deltron 3030 because it led Dan the Automator and Del the Funky Homo Sapien to collaborate on this first Gorillaz album was really one of the major keys kind of playing into like where Damon would would go. And then the very next year, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, Dan the Automator and Damon Albarn were all working together on the self-titled Gorillaz album. The three of them were kind of the main musical, as I mentioned before, the main musical um kind of forces behind what would become one of their biggest hits and still is to this day one of the biggest gorillas hits and biggest songs that Damon Albarn has had in his career, Clint Eastwood. Mm. So I'll give you I'll give you some of that here right now. So here's Clint Eastwood off of the 2001 self-titled Gorillas album featuring Dan the Automator and Della Funky Homo Sapien. I'm feeling glad I got sunshine in a bag I'm useless but not for long, the future is coming on, it's 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 coming on, I couldn't be there. Now nah, you shouldn't be scared. I'm good at repairs and I'm under each snare. Intangible. But you didn't think so. I command you to. Okay, so now now you've got the gorillas and you've still got blur. What is Yeah, oh yeah. So So Damon also didn't necessarily tell the guys in Blur that he kind of was coming up with another main project. And Damon was definitely like Thinking of him, like, to himself, Damon was definitely like, all right, yeah, no, Gorillaz is kind of my main thing. And, like, after after 13, for a few years, a lot of the guys in Blur kind of just went their separate ways. A couple, like, the 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 um, bassist ended up making some, some solo music of his own. The drummer kind of went on to um, kind of get involved in some non-musical prospects and the, the drummer dave roundtree is actually now i believe a like um local representative in his like oh, wow. english huh. town so he's like a local politician these days but um graham coxon kind of after around the time of 13 and kind of after was sort of facing some personal issues like he was he was one kind of just depressed about like the 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 his musical i guess career like he really enjoyed blur but he didn't really enjoy all the stuff that came with being in like a majorly successful band like he hated interviews he didn't really like touring and being away from home all that all, all that much and that kind of led him to unfortunately kind of get very involved in alcohol and like he mm. was he was drinking very very heavily for okay. a long time and like from kind of the period of like the 1997 to like around 2003 2004 yeah. Graham Coxon talks about kind of being almost drunk that whole time constantly yeah, yeah. so so around 2003 2002 2003 gorillas had just kind of finished their first album kind of done a small tour some some shows kind of in support of the album so Damon kind of finds out that he's 
contractually obligated for one more Blur album. And so Damon, Damon really likes, like Damon's always been very good friends with all the guys in Blur, so it wasn't like he was dreading hanging out with them again. Not really sure, like, oh, what kind of music are we going to make? Like, are we are we just going to go back to, like, are we just going to be like, oh, this is, we have to crank out a four-piece rock album every five years just to make our millions or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Damon was kind of like, are you, are you just becoming like a classic rock band or something? And then they started having some initial sessions that weren't going well at all with mm-hmm. Graham as a four-piece kind of because of his drinking was making him just like, one, depressed, and also two, like, I think if he wasn't depressed, he was kind of angry, so he was mm. just, like, not great to be around. Like, he would either be pissed off or mm. just, like, drunk or depressed. Mm. So he wasn't very active in the studio, and they actually, uh, he actually officially left Blur in 2003 during the making of their album Think Tank, the 2003 Blur album, and he's only featured on one song mm. on the album, um, so the, the other 12, there's 13 songs on Think Tank. The other 12 songs are the, the other three guys in Blur kind of making up for the fact that Graham Coxon's not around and they do a really, really interesting job with it. They actually get, and they recorded the album almost entirely in Morocco also, hmm. which is, which is pretty interesting. Like Damon Albarn has always had a heavy, a very heavy influence in like non-Western music and specifically African music in general. Like mm-hmm. he's. In his in his recent years, he's even like written African music specifically. Um, but this with this album, Think Tank, is kind of the first time that Blur really experimented with like some world music influence, and they 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 brought in a lot of extra musicians to play on the album, sort of in lieu of Graham Cox and like extra percussionists, maybe even keyboardists and one or two guitarists. So. There's there's a lot of very experimental, kind of very jam-based, very like open form songs on Think Take that are very that almost sound a little gorillas-esque. Mm. I think Damon maybe had to specifically make it not sound too gorillas to keep it under that blur label. But here's Out of Time, one of the bigger songs off of Think Take, which was kind of the final chapter in Blur's Blur's uh history for for over over a decade but here's out of time. Where's the love song set us free? Too many people down, everything turning the wrong way round. And I don't So it's definitely it definitely sounds a lot more subdued than Blur had in the more re- in the recent years, and that is definitely uh, in part to kind of Graham Coxon's kind of trademark distorted, noisy guitar kind of being mostly absent from the album, and kind of Damon actually playing a lot of the guitar on the album himself. And he's not he's not a bad guitar player by any means, but he's certainly not going to rip a crazy, insane <laughs> solo or anything like that. Right. And you can also, you could also definitely hear a lot of the more just like layered percussion and things like that. They are experimenting with some other kinds of musical styles that would definitely go on to inspire Damon kind of in his own solo work uh, later in the um, 2010s that we'll get to in uh, part two of mm. our episode on Damon here. But um 
The uh, Think Tank, the, the Blur kind of completed a short tour of Think Tank using a um, higher guitarist, actually. Okay. The, the the lead guitarist of The Verve actually ah. stepped in to kind of be Graham Coxon for that tour. I believe his name is Simon Tong. But um, he actually ended up becoming one of the live guitarists for Gorillaz for a time as well. So that was probably the connection that needed to be made there for him. But... Um, yeah, that's the the, the Damon Albarn has had quite a uh, music career, and like we we barely delved into half of it in this first part. So we'll yeah. we're very excited to kind of continue where Damon kind of took Gorillaz, his solo career, and also like what what happened with with um with uh, Blur as they kind of resolved their issues into their older age and um, kind of re regain some some trust and some writing capability with the with the band as a four piece so i'm very excited to, for you guys all to hear damon albarn part two yeah next next uh next time definitely all right sweet thank you guys so much this has been influenced 